Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Well, it's Guy Fawkes weekend and uh, it seems like the, uh, there are people tunnelling under Simon's mixer desk looking to blow it up. So uh, uh, are we confident we're live there, Simon? Yes, we, we are indeed live. Um, I've indeed not got notifications to say the same, yes. Oh, well, um, this, is, this is excellent news. All of these things were planned. And rather than it being another bonfire weekend where we throw various Tory party infighting and issues and elections of leaders onto the flaming pyre of fun, we thought we'd go a bit local and invite a friend of the podcast back on. So, Mr. George Madgmick, Councillor Madgmick for Paul's Grove, welcome back. Hello, how are you doing? Yes, very well. I always like it these days when we focus on local issues. Much nicer for me. Simon perhaps likes to keep the issue agenda at a national level, but um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's the local stuff that matters. That's what the listeners want. Yeah, we'll we'll ask both of them. Um, but um, yeah, nice to have you back on, George. Welcome. Thank you. So, so we got a full council coming up this week. Um, a, a reasonably scant agenda again, but um, so George, we thought we'd invite you on as as Team Pip seemed to have a, a, a few notions and... this this month. I mean, <laughs> yes, I was quite surprised as well. To be fair, they the Democratic Services team always keep their cards quite close to their chest, and I, I did say to them before the agenda come out, I said we've got a busy one. They said, oh, we've got a few in kind of thing, and I thought, right, I didn't think they meant one plus ours so um yeah it's a it's a real small agenda this um this month you'll get used to being home well before midnight george at this right hopefully hopefully simon yeah so let's um let's get right into it then so um so one of one of your notices of motion to the council is uh is calling on the uh, calling on the council to um, have a look at their voy e-scooter trial so it's been extended several times. So what's your motion calling for and, and why is that an issue? Um, to get rid of it, simply. Um, uh, it seems like the national parties as a whole, now I will say as a whole because it's not everybody, um, but as, as a general rule of thumb, the national parties are for it. Um, I've never liked them personally. Um, I remember it all, all dates back from, from many a many a year ago when um, they first come out in their simplest of forms. And my dad took it off me. Well, I, he was riding a bike and I was riding my scooter and he took it off me, as in Councillor Brian Magic talking about. And he uh, hit a manhole and went over the top of the handlebars and uh, broke his ribs and his wrists and his fingers and his every, everything else. So he's never been overly a fan of them. Um, and, and yeah, they're, they're just... I like the I like the concept in principle. I like it at its root source. Um, I just don't feel, for many reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into, that they're they're right for our city. I think they're dangerous. Obviously, we had that unfortunate death in Pools Grove last year um, of a of a young lad. I think he was 19. Um, passed away after crashed into a car on an e-scooter. Um, and they're not as environmentally friendly or as cost effective as it's always made out. I mean, if you really get into the reports, which are, I think, 100 pages long, if you get into the fine details, you start noticing they're not as not as cracked up as they uh, sound on the surface. So, I mean, I, I think the kind of the whole idea about them is that is to supposedly to encourage car drivers to use them in, instead of uh, bringing a car. Uh, is it? 
other what who would be otherwise car drivers that are using e-scooters or yeah, is this the, is the audience know. someone else when you get the data you can always skew the data as you know you know when you if you collect enough data you can always skew it to to mean one thing you know if you look at it and as i say if you if anyone wants to go and check out the wave one wave two wave three and now wave four reports that our own council officers have done you'll see that there's it's not always, always as shiny and, and as, as glamorous as it's made out to be i mean I think my motion actually says a precise number, and off the top of my head, I can't I can't particularly remember. But I think it's um I think it's thirty four percent. I think it's thirty four percent, and you might be able to quote me different. But thirty four percent of people it takes away from the cars. They use the scooter instead of the cars. But at least sixty six percent of people that would otherwise walk, otherwise cycle, otherwise use buses and public transport like trains, it's already running. So yes, it does take thirty percent of thirty four percent of people out of cars, but it also takes sixty six percent away of people from using more economical, more safe versions of transport. Okay, so like you're saying, perhaps not the halo solution. No, fundamentally for me, as and and I've said this because obviously, as soon as my motion came out, as you can imagine, I immediately got questions and I immediately got emails from lots of people. Um, One of the one one of the people was actually one of the managers of Voy, and I I appreciate them reaching out to me straight away. But you can imagine why they would. Um, But you know, they reached out to me straight away as well. And I haven't got a problem with Voy scooters. It's not Voy scooters I've got a problem with. It's the scooters in Portsmouth. And our own report says that Portsmouth's infrastructure is not suitable already or safe for these e-scooters. You know, as you know, we're an island city. We're a busy city. We have lots of cars, lots of people, you know, and we don't have the infrastructure in place to make these e-scooters safe. We just don't simply have it. And people are misusing them. You know, I've got so many photos because obviously as soon as this motion come up, everyone was emailing me their photos. You know, God, I mean, I've probably received over 100 emails because it went in the newspaper and stuff of examples of people riding twos on a scooter, threes on a scooter, young kids as young as 10, 11 using voice scooters, you know, and they're meant to be safe and to stop that happening. You know, that's not meant to be able to happen. Um, it does. So with the, with this, oh, sorry, Ian. Yeah, I was just going to ask though, George, isn't, isn't the safety issue, uh, I mean, my, my view on them, and I, I'm, I'm not a fan because obviously from a visually impaired perspective, any fast moving silent vehicle, whilst I back myself in most collisions, is not ideal. But is it a case really of, of they're no more or less dangerous than a a quickly, you know, a proper cyclist doing 20, 30 miles an hour on a bicycle? It, it, it doesn't feel to me like they're, they're any different. Are we, is the council perhaps overstepping its reach to, to decide they're, they're yeah. too dangerous. Once, once again, I, I think it comes down to the user, and this is why I say it's nothing against Voy. It's nothing against them at all. It's down to the user, and the user is the person that's not sensible because we're all humans. But if you had 40-year-old experienced license holders that know the traffic code and so on and so forth, it'd be fine, but you don't. You know, the, you are getting kids on it, literally kids on it, that are using their parents or, them, or their brother's license to, to, to use it. Um, you know, they do VOI safety tests and stuff, and they ask you to pass a course, but it's all optional. You can optionally wear a helmet. No one wears a helmet. Um, you can optionally do the course. You know, it's – it's, and this is where it comes down to is, is, is the people using them aren't trained or able to use the road safety as applicable. I like the fact that the VOI scooters are insured. I think that's a really good thing. Um, and I like the fact they're monitored. You know, there's, a lot, there's pros to it. Don't get me wrong. As I say, I'm, I'm not against – 
the, mm. the concept. I'm not against the fundamental concept of it. What I'm saying is they're not suitable for our city in their current form. Um, and that's that. That's what my point is. And as I say, I've just pulled up, say there's a hundred odd page report and I can't expect obviously all the members of the public to, um, to read all this. Um, but I mean, this is our own report. Okay. So this is uh, page 10 of our report. It says about safety and since the trial started, there have been 252 accidents reported to Voy. So this is only accidents that have actually been reported. So forget unreported accidents to Voy and you know, accidents that have happened away from it. This is ones that only have been reported to Voy. So there's been 252 um, and there's been 124 damage only, 104 slight um, injuries. This is injuries to the people. And there's been 24 serious injuries. And serious injuries are defined as... Um, sprains, whiplash, cuts, severe breakages, um, so on and so forth. You know, so it's it's not great. It's not great. Yeah. So there's there's lots of injuries there. But are, are Voy scooter? Because if we remove the Voy scooter scheme, what about all of the scooters that aren't Voy, um, which are also um, not legal to use on public roads? But they, well, what, what happens with them? That's, that's where the police come in. Surely, that's mm. where the police come in. They should they should be doing their job. I just don't think as a council we should be encouraging right now. As I say, let's maybe in the future they're fine. In their current climate, we shouldn't be encouraging it. Um, as I say, they're misused. If the, if there was a philosophy where they had the app and the person that was riding it had to be on the camera and so on and so forth, so you could make sure the person riding it was the person that's rented it, that might be a different situation. If you could guarantee the helmets, that might be a different situation. At the end of the day, these are motorized vehicles, which which means they're not bicycles. Um, you know, and they're like mopeds. Mopeds go thirty miles an hour. Mopeds go twenty-five miles an hour. But you've got to wear a crash helmet, right? You mm. know, and and. These are motorized vehicles, no which, which way you wrap it round. Um, a friend of mine actually actually went on one. I've never been on one personally because they scare the living death out of me. But um, I've never been on one. But my friend got on one and, and it went on like auto. I don't know how this works, but it went on auto. He, he was in front of me. It's hilarious. And he couldn't actually put the brake on. It just carried on going. So he went up the, up the street in Cosham High Street, had to go round the roundabout and come down and had to jump off while the scooter fell to the floor. You know, so there is <laughs> there is these things that happen. Um, I just, yeah, just not a fan. Okay, I must admit I've not used one myself either because I don't possess a driving license and I wasn't going to borrow someone else's to to use it. So I must admit that was one of the questions that I thought was, and you've kind of covered it there because I saw on on some of the conversations that took place on Facebook, one of, one of the contributors there had had said something about, well, you're meant to use a license um, to be able to kind of hire it, but then how are all these... And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that they're 14 year olds. But how are all these 14 year olds using the more younger? Because um, they, yeah. they definitely don't have driving licenses. So how are they managing to use them? And this is the problem: is it does happen. And also, um, you know, I'm a big living democracy. I love democracy. I, I think the, 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 even if you disagree with the decision, the majority should always win. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. And you know, the statistics overwhelmingly like massively say that the residents of Portsmouth are against this. Um, now, don't get me wrong, there is another north and south divide which we can go into okay. where the, the north of Portsmouth definitely dislike them as much as the south. Um, the south are more favourable. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're still against it, but they're more favourable than the north of the city. Um, but yeah, there is, and there is a massive age divide. You know, if, it, if it's under 25, you've got you know, a more favourable look at it, anything over 25 and you're highly against it up until obviously the fact you get to like 60 plus and they're like massively against it. So um, yeah. there is a big divide on age. There is a big divide on the north and south of the city. Um, 
these these are all factors but the fundamental element of it is is that a large portion, I mean, a huge portion, I think it's 70% odd of people in Portsmouth are against them. So what is it you want to see the council do instead of of, of this? Oh, but I, like this, I like this new barrel bike scheme. Let's replace all the voice scooters with barrel bike um, stop parts. You know, they're a lot safer. They're a lot easier. They're a lot, you know, mo- a lot more eco-friendly. If we're discussing the green policy of Liberal Democrat administration, they're much more eco-friendly. Um, they're more cost-effective to run. So these, these are the um, new um, kind of bike hire schemes um, that the councils um, just started to to um, to do. Christmas version of forest bikes, then. Yeah. You know, um, they've been invented with the name and call them Beryl instead. So, um, yeah. Can't, but... we call them, can't we call them Gerald bikes? <laughs> I'm sure he'd love that. I don't know. I'll suggest it to him. <laughs> I, um, as long as Gerald doesn't have to cycle around the city on one, I don't know that. I don't know that that would work for for anybody. But um, yeah, I mean, I get. I kind of can see kind of the the concern there. I guess there's some controls of it thing, but there's also then the like so many other things about active travel and obviously a, a, a motorized electric scooter isn't really an active travel because you're not having to exert any energy on it. But from a perspective of what cycle groups have been calling for for years, have been physically separated. So it's the only time that uh, you know it, it's some sort of physical segregation of of cycle lanes would separate them from motorised traffic. Um, but again, then I guess if you had if you were on a bicycle and you're constantly dealing with e-scooters bombing backwards and forwards um, that are going much faster than probably most people cycle. Um, I don't know whether that's that's even a, a solution, is it? I don't know. Hmm. I say I think I think it, Portsmouth isn't suitable for it. We've tried the scheme. The data overwhelmingly supports that it's not a positive thing. Um, you know, on all angles, from from a popularity contest amongst the public to the environmental aspect to the safety aspect, it's it's failed on all angles. Um, so why are we continuing it? Um, we've tried it for two years. It's not popular. They keep trying to peddle it and send out more positive messaging. Um, but the, the, the responses between the waves that the council are doing have, have not, not really gone up or down. They've kind of stayed static. And this one, I think, went up a few percent um, in positive reactions. But if you look at who's been kind of polled in the most recent ones, they've, they've increased the polling down the south. So it's, you know, but as I say, even, even the new one, which is the best report they've ever had since they started, is still 70% against it. So, um, it's yeah, I, I just think we've had a trial it's not working. It's not worked. People like don't like it. They're not being used correctly. Let's move on. Perfect. So on that note, let's let's talk about the roads in Paulsgrove. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So um, what is the problem with the roads in Paulsgrove, and are they are they no better or worse than, you know, let, let's face it, potholes, poo, and bins are the the favourite topics of all local neighbourhood forums so um are the roads in Paulsgrove particularly poor terrible um absolutely terrible i mean just to pick a few roads out but uh chebworth crescent is is terrible um raymond road is is awful i think the problem is and, and the pushback that i've had since day one so when i was a a campaigning person and councillor i thought you know this is going to be something that we can sort and get easy but the issue is, is, is once you become a counsellor, you realise there's more red tape than life itself. And for all the mm. good people in the world, you, you sometimes can't resolve issues. And this is one of those issues which no matter how hard I've tried, no matter how much I've banged the doors. I mean, now my 
my, my father's elected as well. You know, there's two of us in the ward. You think that that would give you more clout. And and all you do is get pushed back because we've signed a terrible contract with Colas 20 odd years ago, however long ago it was, which basically gives them the ability and control to decide when our road should be done. Um, and a lot of it comes down to the bus network. Now, you've got two problems here is that Paul's Grove's bus network or public transport network is terrible. You know, you're mm. looking at 40, I mean, some people have got 40, 45 minute walk uphill or downhill to the nearest train station. Um, the buses don't run frequently. In fact, during COVID, they obviously reduced the bus timetable and haven't increased them. You've got some areas like Port Solent, for example, where that's obviously in the Paul's Grove ward, Port Solent. They don't have a bus scheme, but yet have 90 odd percent of people in retirement age that live there. You know, they don't have a good local transport infrastructure in Paul's Grove, which is fine to an extent. I mean, I prefer more buses and stuff like that, but it's fine to an extent if your roads are good, but your roads aren't good. You know, people, even the taxi trade, for example, the taxi trade, obviously, as you know, I'm a vice chair of licensing, even the taxi trade comes to me and say, can't you get these roads sorted in Paul's Grove? You've got to remember, once again, we're an eco-administration, right? The Liberal Democrats run an eco-friendly administration agreeing in policy, which is fine. But bad roads encourage more worn-on tyres, which is obviously not very economically friendly. Um, you know, it causes higher emissions, which is not economically friendly. But because there's not a bus link, they won't do the roads. So is it a case, George, of the, there, there is very much a sort of Gallic shrug and Maniana kind of, you know, they're... they're because, I, I mean, perhaps naively, I would presume that if somebody was to look at a road surface and say, do you know what, that is full of potholes and breaking up, that that would need to get added to the list of, you know, obviously there's always going to be a, a a kind of a, a positioning for, you know, do our road next. But have you got, are you literally at the point where, you know, you can't offer any hope, even as a local councillor, that it might get done in the next two, three years. No. So, and, and this is the problem. I mean, look, roads like Raymond Road, for example, I use that as the best example because that's not been touched in any capacity since we've become a unitary authority, which was, you tell me when, three decades ago? Mm. Um, it's not been touched in any capacity. It's terrible. I think a lot of the issues as well is you've got to remember why Paul's Grove was built and why the housing was built a long, long time ago now and the fact that it wasn't meant to last forever. And a lot of the roads up there have an underbase of concrete and they've slapped a load of tarmac on them, which obviously over the years has just, just come off because concrete's not suitable to have the tarmac surface put on there. So a lot of the roads, the tarmac has come off and you've got, you've got concrete tarmac, concrete tarmac the whole way along. And... As I say, no matter what we've tried, I mean, the only thing we haven't tried is a motion yet. We've done a question to council. We've had a resident in Chebworth Crescent actually go around and knock all the doors in Chebworth Crescent and got 120 odd signatures for a petition. He hasn't even had a response, um, you know, and he got, he did that, I think, last February, or this February, sorry, this February. He did it this February and got an acknowledgement, but hasn't had a response. Um, you've had residents ask for, ask for speed survey information because I say a, a lot of the time, Colas will pop out. They'll go, oh, yeah, we'll look at doing this. And then it never happens. I mean, Steve Pitt, to be credit where credit's due, I spoke to Steve Pitt about it because I wasn't getting anywhere with Lynn Stagg whatsoever. Um, so I spoke to Steve Pitt about it. And he said, well, we could look at just taking the tarmac off and just returning it back to its original concrete state. Um, and I said, well, do that then. You know, anything's better than what it currently is because it's just so, mm. uneven. It's just so uneven. So are you are you are you hoping that this motion is gonna is gonna precipitate some action or perhaps even just some kind of plan? Just something. 
and I, and I said this to Gerald as well, just give us something. You know, the, the issue is, is Paul's Grove has always felt, and certainly I have as well, always felt that we're kind of the forgotten sister or brother of the rest of Portsmouth. And it's it's so frustrating because you drive down into the to the mainland of, of, of Portsmouth, down in Southsea and stuff like that, and there's always roadworks and resurfacing. And I mean, like, look at Cosham High Street. That just got done, what, two years ago. Um, and it looks lovely and it's worked great. But, um, you know, that's one of the bits of work they've done off the island. Um, but... Paulsgrove is just left. Um, just drive up there and have a look. You know, it's it's, it's just been left, um, and you know it's not very good. And people in Paulsgrove are really upset about it. They pay the same taxes, they pay the same car tax, road tax, so on and so forth. Um, you know, and 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 they just want the same thing. As and as I said to Gerald, give us a couple of roads. Give us a couple of roads. Give me something to start with. You know, let's do a couple. But nope, nothing. Just some some sort of dent in the potholes would be something would be at least some sort of progress. Let's just get start getting some movement. Um, you know, let's just start getting some movement on it. That that's all we're asking for is a bit of movement. I, I went down with the motorcycle club, a, a bike club, and there's there's a part when you go down. It's just by um, Deerhurst Crescent, um, and you get to the bottom where Alloway Avenue is, and there's a, a little uneven hump that's basically called the thing. And if if you don't know as a cyclist, not as a car driver, if you don't know as a motorcyclist that that's there, you actually take off from the floor. So in wet conditions, it's not good. So that was brought to the council's attention. Nothing's been done. Um, you know, so it's very frustrating. So I thought the motion is the only way to highlight it, and that's why me and Brian have worked on the motion and put it forward to council. Brilliant. Well, good luck with that one. Okay. Um, so um, it'd be interesting to see what the the council's uh, the council's response and reaction to that is. Um, just before we move on a little bit, um, I know we spent a while talking about the e-scooters, but we did have a couple of um, comments that came in just as we moved off the subject. So we had Andrew. Uh, comment that it's um that it's not um popular due to, to cost but he's waiting um for them to be legal to use so we can use one for work um as it's more cost effective uh, but maybe there needs to be a 25 um year uh, as a basically a 25 sorry age limit on it so that it's you know so that there's a maximum sorry a minimum age limit on them to um to do that um mike um also contributed that the um there's a reason why e-scooters are a problem, and the reason is that the under-25s can't drive any other form of transport, so they're, I guess he's saying that they're drawn to that uh, as an option. Um, and the performance of electric two-, three-, or four-wheeled vehicles tends to be extreme, um, so we'd be happy if the acceleration of e-scooters was modified to be much more modest, um, so that they're not, I guess so that they're not quite so um, so zippy. Um, so some of these scooters can easily do 15 to, to 20 miles per hour, and that's too fast on pavements. I mean, instead of um, instead of uh, councils moan, uh, councils instead of moaning about e-scooters, should embrace them as a means of reducing uh, climate change. People using e-scooters are not using fossil fueled vehicles to get around, and embracing this kind of tech means councils have to get um, off their posteriors um, and search for a solution. Mm. So, so, so obviously, I'm essentially a, a, a agreeing in the sense of that statement. Say, because fundamentally, I'm not against the core reason of them. Um, it's just the infrastructure is not there and they're not safe, you know, and in relation to Andrew's comment in relation to, um, you know, being cheaper, um, that's one of the views of one of the councillors. I spoke to councillor Tom Coles about it um, and he really likes it because he uses it to get to work. Obviously, he works at the QA hospital um, and it's a much, much more cost effective and beneficial way for him to get to work. So he really likes them. Um, so I think, you know, they work for some people, but equally, Tom, you know, Councillor Tom Coles is not the reason why I want them banned. You know, he's probably a really safe driver with driving experience and a sensible head on. He's not the problem. 
um, you know, the problem are the young ones um, that, are, that are just dangerous on it. And I sound really old when I say that, don't I? But, it, but it, that, is, that is the truth. So I agree with Andrew that maybe looking at a higher age restriction might be more sensible or making sure that everyone's got a license, like a moped. You know, you need to get a moped license. Don't you? Okay. Yeah, I think the, the other factor that comes in here, George, and I've got experience of this in our own house, um, as my eldest son's 22 and he and his girlfriend regularly use them because... Their, their issue is about surge pricing of taxis. Um, so, you know, if they're, if they're going down into the south of the city, um, what they're finding at the moment is that, you know, they, they can either, and again, not with the weather out there at the moment, but, but it's much cheaper for them to hire a couple of boys and head down than it is to, to pay for the taxis when they surge pricing takes it up to sort of, you know, we're in Cosham and, and he's regularly seeing sort of 25, 30 pounds to, for a 15 minute cab ride down into town. hundred percent. And I think that is one of the positives of it is the cost element. Um, that's something I can't even you know disagree with in any capacity. So, you know, the, the cost, the cost is, is, is an important point. Um, what I will say though is obviously from a licensing trade, we, we set the Hackney, Hackney prices. So not obviously getting down to Portsmouth, but once you're in Portsmouth, if you need to come back, if you use one of the council's Hackney ones, obviously they can't be surge priced. Um, so, you know, if you go to a local taxi rank where, where, where one of our ranks drivers are. Yes. Yeah. I think there's definitely a, a conversation for another day on, uh, on Hackney versus private hire. Um, yeah. That's a different kettle of onions and a whole can of worms to, to open up. So, um, so in addition to these two um, notices of motion that you've got, um, you've also got three questions um, to cabinet, um, which is in the um, in the section that's raised. And just to explain it to listeners a bit, so under the understanding order seventeen, at the end of the council meeting, there's forty minutes given for um, for councillors to pose uh, written questions to cabinet members um, for them to give an answer and the person posing the question can ask two follow-up questions in relation to the answer that's given um, or indeed other councillors can uh, can actually ask a follow-up question uh, to uh, to a question that someone else has submitted but there is a total 40 minutes for those so there's kind of quite a jostle for space quite unlike actually the notice of motion which seem to be of an open-ended time scale um, sometimes to the detriment and that's a question we kind of come on to later on but these three questions um, so they're about um, what thought and consultation went into the location of the Paulsgrove and uh, Port Solent recycling banks um, the proposed use of Alexandra Park for glamping pods uh, during the Victorious Festival what sort of engagement is going to take place um, in order to um, in order to engage residents uh, with um, with that um, and then the last the last question was how are um, in that section are how are um, Portsmouth City Council supporting the emerging boxing talent in the city so there's co there's quite a few things so so where have they kind of come through and and if I can ask you to kind of take us through each of each of those three each of those three questions yeah so first of all two of them aren't actually me they're mm. Russell Simpson Councillor Russell Simpson um but obviously, me and Russell have discussed them in detail, so I can give you a, a brief overview of them. Um, but obviously, that, that'd be my opinion, not Russell's. Um, but the in relation to the recycling ones, obviously, we were notified as councillors that they were removing the glass recycling at the Tesco North Harbour. Um, Tesco gave us enough notice, which is great. And as a council, they were looking for alternative places. Um, however, I think 
that they just place them in places. Um, because I've had a number of residents reach out to me and said, I didn't know they were put in here. Now we've got lots of um, bags of waste. And I've had a, like a photo of like loads of bags all around the bins and stuff. Um, so one of the locations is causing a bit of a problem. Um, it's one of those things that you put the question in and then you get some answers after the question's already been submitted. Um, so I do know a bit more about it now than what I did when the question was submitted. Um, and the reason I submitted the question is because I didn't know about it at the time. I couldn't get an answer from an officer quick enough. So it was good to get the question in so it was submitted in time and then find out the details after. Um, but as I say, in, the, in regards to that one, they've placed, I think they've placed them in good locations. This is one of those things where it's a councillor thing again, is at the end of the day, I represent my local constituents. And just if I don't agree on something, doesn't mean that I won't follow what, what our local residents want. I think they've put one in Port Zone at the entry, which is great. Um, and they've put one on Jubilee Avenue um, up by the school. Uh, that's the one that's more contentious because it is in a residential area. You're getting cars turn up late at night um, because, unfortunately, a lot of commercial businesses use it. Um, and that's what the problem is with Tesco's. It's not actually residential usage is the problem. It's the commercial usage from bars, pubs, clubs, so on and so forth. And they're using it to dispose their, their glassware. But now these people are going to Jubilee Avenue instead, which means you're getting cars left on with lots of bottle rattlings and bottle noises outside a um outside residential area so that's the one that's really causing the main problem um in relation to the other two motions uh the boxing one was was one funnily enough that me and russell were about to ask at the same time it's really weird um actually because it's such a random question for us almost both to ask at the same time mm. um very strange how that happened i messaged him and said oh i'm thinking about putting this in he said oh i've just drawn up this email let me send you and it was almost the same question so he ended up asking it because obviously he is the opposition for culture leisure um so it made more sense but in portsmouth we've got an incredible boxing talent coming through you know michael mckinson uh lucas you've got um mark you've got ebony um ebony jones is smashing it you know a female boxer she's on Sky Sports all the time. Um, I mean, if you look at um, Michael McKinson, he just fought in Texas to like 40, 50,000 people. Um, and what Is we... he the Pompey problem? Mm, that's right, yeah. Yep. And, and he did lose, unfortunately. Um, it was tight, but he did lose. Um, but he won everything up to there. You know, he's a great ambassador for Portsmouth and the local area. Um, I actually met him when I was campaigning in Charles Dickens last year. He's a, he's a lovely guy. Um, but we've got Mark Ellens, for example, who's who's obviously hitting the heavyweight division. He's knocked out all but one of his opponents. Um, I think he's on eight or nine wins now in a row. Uh, we've got a lot of a lot of talent. Ebony, Ebony Jones, as I say, female lady. Um, I believe she works at um, one of the car groups up the road in Drayton and Flanton. But she um, she's done really really well and boxed on and boxed in that recent massive fight that was on that was on Sky. Um, but we don't really hear about them locally. So I think I think we just wanted to draw some attention to them. Um, we've got one of the Olympic basketball, disabled Paralympic basketball players that live in our city. We don't really hear much about them. Um, and we've got some really good sports people coming through. And we just want to look at highlighting that because we do so much for theatre. We do so much for creative arts, you know, like the We Create Festival. We do fantastic... Portsmouth City Council do fantastic things for the arts. Um, I think it's one of our real strong points. And I don't want to see you know, boxing talent or, or sport talent fall through that net. So that's the question. We want to start trying to trying to give them a bit of a boost. Let's give them a bit of a highlight and promote the good things that the city produce. Excellent. Thank you. Well hopefully they um they get they you get a good um you get a good answer uh from the from the cabinet members and um because you can't 
glamping yeah, pods. What's the them? Yeah, we've got glamping pods. I mean, that's a hard one for me because I do not know much about it other than what I've spoke to the, the councillors about. Um, obviously, that stems down from Victoria's Festival. And I think the issue stems all because it did go a bit mad on social media about two weeks ago on um, Councillor Scott Peter Harris's page um, when I believe the Victoria's Festival announced that they were going to propose to do glamping there before before the council were aware they were going to announce it. Um, so I think the council were told you're going to we're going to announce it in like a week and a half, two weeks time, and then the Victoria's team announced it straight away. Um, and it caused a bit of a confusion because everything was being organised to, to kind of talk about it all at the same time. And suddenly it happened and, and the councillors received an email saying, oops, our team told people by accident. Um, so it created a bit of a, a bit of an initial storm. Um, so I think that's why it's raised the question, just so there's some clarity, because a lot of the Hillsy residents, especially that are in that direct mm. area by where the glamping is proposed, have a lot of questions that weren't answered in the initial in the initial announcement of it. So I think... They're just trying to get some clarification on some of the finer details. And, uh, you know, are we going to get loads of 18, 17, 18, 19, 20 year old drunk people there? Or are we going to get loads of families there? Like, what, what's it going to be used for? How's it going to be monitored, maintained? And that's what the question's asking. Because, I mean, not that I've used them myself, um, but I, th I think there's usually some um, some kind of overflow um, pitching of tents, etc. on kind of Drayton um, over in, oh, basically... God, I forget the name of it now. Um, so we were on like Drayton Park. So we're not um, Drayton Park on the basically the the kind of areas um, up by there, up by the Shell uh, petrol station on the east on the Eastern Road, which isn't kind of surrounded on three sides by housing like Alexandra Park is. So I if anything, it kind of sounds well. Why why there when actually the the site off the Eastern Road is easier to get mass you know get public transport to to get a you know to get a bus kind of running backwards and forwards to than actually to Alexandra Park but like you say if someone's kind of jumped the shark a bit on the on the announcement and therefore that hasn't kind of really been handled well then it it, it just needs kind of dealing with to to find out what's going on really just to help residents understand right. what's happening how can you make an, how can you make an informed decision without the, the all the facts um and i think that's what that's what we're trying to get some clarity on. I don't think this is an issue that's going to be swept under the rug very quickly. I've got a, a small feeling that it might be um, a contentious issue moving towards May. Is there something happening in May? I'm not Ooh, sure. What a segue. There's <laughs> another kind like of you've done this before. wheeled vehicle, but even more. Even more, um, <laughs> even more dangerous than the voice scooter. Well, it was for the inventor of the segue. Yes. So if... a uh, Looking back at last May, George, yeah, the 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 Pip Christmas party this year is going to be um is going to be better attended than the one last Christmas, which would have been you on your own in a party hat. So there's now three of you. How's that changed the dynamic, basically for you and and how are the other parties? You know, is it changed the way that they treat you as a group? Yeah, it's made a lot life a lot easier. I mean, I think. I don't think it's any secret that when I was on my own last year, um, the Conservatives especially treated me like absolute garbage. Um, and I'm not saying all of them did, but there was a general rule of thumb in the Conservative group not to speak to the Madwick. Um, you know, and that, that was the... I, I don't want to get anyone into trouble, but that was the consensus um, of the group. And since we've won three, um, and since certain conservative councillors have been 
removed um, from from said lineup, um, the relationship has become a lot better. Um, dramatically better, actually. Re- really good, actually. Um, you know, I've been speaking with Simon a lot. We've worked on a few few little bits and pieces. Um, me and Scott talk on very... I mean, Scott's obviously the chair of licensing, um, and he's been, to be fair to him, a, a excellent chair of licensing. Um, and he's been fantastic. I've been involved in almost every single licensing-related meeting um, that happens, and he's kept me included and inclusive, and he's been nothing short of fantastic. Um, you know, I've, I've formed a good relationship with Councillor Weems, um, you know, and a number of them. It's like like Councillor Mason and Councillor um, Councillor Atkins would, would barely speak to me. And now I'm not saying we're the best of friends, but there's there's civil conversation there. So I think it's definitely from a conservative part, it's it's improved dramatically. Um, you know, from a liberal perspective, I mean, Labour's different because, you know, Labour have always been OK with me. Me and Councillor Kirsty Miller have always got on really, really well. Um and me and Cal have always been amicable. I've never really had any issues with the Labour Party on that other than that little dodgy spat. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and in regards to the Liberal Democrats, um, I've always had a good relationship with them. They've always been very kind to me, very, yeah, had an open door policy with me. You know, people used to assume or think that, that I would just vote everything Liberal Democrat way. And I think the, I think the last vote record showed that I only voted with them about 30% of the time. So that's, that's not the case. Um, but they've always been really friendly and nice to me. It has changed the dynamic, obviously, because politics is a numbers game. Um, and if we had one more elected councillor in May just gone, you know, if we had the four, then us and Liberals together could have could have could have you know held the majority in the council. And I think that would have made a big difference. Um, as it showed in the in the May meeting when all the chair positions went elsewhere by one vote or two votes, you know, so the dynamic is changing, and I think people are aware that we're more than likely gonna win a seat or two again next year. Um, and that will change everything. I think the council is so hung that one or two seats can make an absolute world of difference in this council, a world of difference. So that segues on to the next point, George, which is as we look ahead to next May, obviously we we expect there to be more, um, more PIP candidates. Um, you know, it's no secret and probably why there's a tension with the local conservatives that, um, initially, you were very much targeting conservative wards. Do you expect to move further south and start targeting Labour and Lib Dem seats? And if yeah, yes, think, how does how does that change your campaign? I think the scepticism was was there from almost all conservatives, including yourself, Ian. You know, I always try to tell people that it wasn't necessarily that we're going after conservative seats. It's just that I'm in the north. The people we knew, as in to stand in the north and it just happened that the network was in the north but we did obviously we did stand a candidate in Eastie and Craneswater which I know was a conservative a conservative seat um, but but equally our candidate there lived and worked in Eastie and Craneswater it just happened that that was that the way that it went um, you know we did have a really good punt at Baffins we come second place in Baffins um, beating obviously the Conservatives the Greens the Labour and obviously Jeanette Smith um, and that's a strong liberal seat. Uh, but yes, yeah, I mean, the, the, the simple answer is, is we know where we're strong. Uh, we learned a lot from last year in regards to the north of the city. And I've, I've always been a very open and honest person. And I, I, I spoke with Gerald, you know, last week and I said to him, we're going to start standing in the south. You know, I'm, it's, it's, you know, it's the way it is. So at the end of the day, we're a political party. We only stood in seven seats last year i think it was and we got 14 15 16 percent of the vote i'm sure simon's got the stats there but either way we got a good percentage of the votes for only half the seats that we stood in 
So we are, and we finished second, first or second in five of them, I think. So, you know, we, we, we have got the right to stand everywhere, I think. And, and we're building up a good little local fan base now. Our, our, since recent national politics things went on, our, our membership has increased and we've, we've gained a real, I think, a real few vital supporters and members um, from a financial aspect and from a marketing aspect. Um, and we're ready to take on more next year. Yeah, so I guess you know again, I, I you, you're right. I've I've always had a certain skepticism that in terms of um, because the the dynamics of the city are quite simple in that in that the 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 Labour wage a phony war against the Lib Dems and then vote them back in, and I guess there's an element of if the Lib Dem administration is going to see a genuine opposition then taking seats off of the Tories at the moment doesn't look like that's going to bring, you know, effectively that's just going to split the opposition still further and Correct. and the Lib Dems will walk back into, in, in so we'll still, we'll always see no overall control, but the Lib Dems will stroll back into administration. I mean, so I think that... I, I'm not stupid. Um, and I know that unless we win a Liberal or Labour seat, we're not going to be able to hold the keys. Um, I'm fully aware of that. That's that's politics and that's something we've got mm. to do. Um, so we have to grab a Liberal or Labour seat next year. The issue is, is that Liberal and Labour's have been hot at each other's towels in areas like Fratton, Milton, Central South Sea um, for years, you know, um, St. Jude's. Well, all of them, actually, come think of it, almost all of them. But St. Thomas, essentially, in the south of the city has been a massive, a massive battleground for, for the both of them. So they're so entrenched in the areas and both of them are fantastic local campaign teams in those areas. The, mm. North, the North never really had that. Conservatives had the ability to kind of run away with the areas without much, with much, without much, you know, feedback. So that's what we wanted to try last year. But as I say, I'm fully aware that we've got to win a Liberal Labour seat to hold any power. But as I say, the relationship, and I, 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 I actually I don't care, the relationship between the national parties in local politics is not good um, from from a from a supporting them to run the council perspective. I think that. Labour have now got strong enough that they should be in May next year demanding a cabinet position um, because they've got the numbers. I don't think Liberals will give it to them. I think Conservatives could support the Liberals, um, but they'd want a cabinet position. That's not going to happen. Um, equally, Labour and Conservatives have the numbers to support each other and run the thing. That's not going to happen. Nope. So if we win three and put our numbers to six, we have the power to support any one of the three of them and pop them into power um, because I can't see any of them supporting them um, the next year. It's it's Labour becoming too much of a big boy in the city for them to start keeping the Liberals in, in the administration. So I think that it could be interesting in me. Watch this space. Uh, we shall we we shall watch it with interest, and we might even do the odd um, hustings or two. We, we might we, do. We, we, we might, might do. do. What well, did they say? The first rule of politics: learn to count. Um, okay. So the last two council meetings of seen uh, and we we touched on it in the, the beginning of the show the last two council meetings have seen quite a low number of of motions compared to actually normally quite a full slate they go on for you know 10 11 hours till everybody's just about ready to keel over at, at their desks what's what's kind of behind that is there is that an outbreak of common sense or is it something else no um it's it's a number of things it so as as Group leaders, we have meetings and we're encouraged to try and keep motions to a minimum if the if the topics prior to the motions 
are quite contentious or going to be discussed. Now, when I say encouraged, it makes it sound like it's trying to hinder democracy. So I must state very, very clearly that any of us, all 42 of us, could put 20 motions in if we wanted to, and no one's ever stopping us. So it's not like we can't do it if we don't want to. But it's it's on 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 big agendas, you know. On like the last one with Tipner West, we all thought that that was going to be a three-hour debate, you know. And there was going to be, and if people started submitting four or five motions a group, all of a sudden you're there till three in the morning. So it was kind of kind of encouraged to try and keep our groups to a minimum. This one's a weird one. I don't understand why we've we've not been encouraged to not do motions. We've, in fact, what the what the thing was is, in the last full council, it was like if you can move your motions to the November one, that'd be great, just to save a really long meeting. So I was expecting this 10, 11, out, 12 yeah. motions. I don't understand why that's not happened. But motions are probably my least favourite thing about being a councillor. And I always say this after the full council meeting, you go back to the office the next day, and the officers are like, "How is it?" And I'm like, "I hated it because." A lot of the times we're discussing absolute trollop and trash, um, <laughs> you know, putting through motions of we regret Eastney swimming pool closure. Obviously, everyone regrets it. No one's going to go, do you know what? It was fantastic. I'm so glad. No one's going to do that. Um, so we don't need to talk for an hour and 50 minutes on it. You know, it's motions like that. And I'm sure you guys can think of a load. Oh, and there's yeah. always them on, on, on council things, you know. They're not contentious. They don't need to be debated. Everyone's going to agree on them. And they're just little taglines for flyers. Um, and I'm not really a big fan of those ones. Um, I switch off and get bored. But I really, really love the ones that create debate and create divide. And I think this, for example, this e-school one is going to create a massive divide. And I'm going to be interested to see how the groups vote. And I've actually emailed the full council um, on Friday and asked if the leaders can allow their, their members to have a free vote on this. Cause I know for a fact, and I won't name names, so I don't want to get people in trouble, but I know for a fact there's liberal Democrats that can't stand the e-scooter scheme. Cause I spoke to them about it. And because obviously before I put the motion in, I wanted to test the waters. So I know for a fact there's liberal Democrats that don't like the e-scooter scheme. Um, I know for a fact there is Tories that don't like the e-scooter scheme. And I know for a fact there is labor people that don't like the e-scooter scheme. So all three of them have members that don't like it. And that all three of them have members that love it. So it'd be really interesting to see a free vote on it and to actually see where the chips end up lying. But that's the kind of the, the kind of motions I like, you know, where you can have a healthy debate. Okay, yeah. So outside of the kind of the party politics of it and, and things like that, do you think do you think the full council debates are better for there being fewer motions rather than a packed slate where you don't really get a chance to actually have that debate that you need to about the things that are really important? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, once again, it's all timings. It's, it's people. The further you get back down in the night, the fewer people want to talk and debate. And the, I mean, you've got to remember, as councillors, we don't receive food or anything like that at all. So when you, when you are seven, eight, nine, ten hours into a full council meeting with two fifteen-minute breaks, and you've got to decide whether to go to the toilet and for some members have a fag or eat or get a drink. You can only choose one of those because you haven't got enough time to the other ones. So you've got a, you don't get. You don't get much. So I think as the day goes on, people get tired, fatigued, hungry, thirsty, need to go to the toilet nonstop. Um, so the less motions, the better, because you can have a more healthy, interactive debate on the ones that have been put forward. Um, there's nothing worse than receiving your agenda pack and seeing 14 motions on there. Um, it's You go in there with a negative impact before you even start, um, because you're thinking, oh, here we go. Um, mm. and you just hope that a couple of certain councillors don't turn up because they use their six minutes on every bloody motion. So you just, and as soon as you see them all there, you're like, oh God, this is going to take 25 years. Yeah. I, so I think, uh, I think most of us have been in, in lots of meetings that should have been an email 
or that have gone on longer than they, than they needed to. But no, no, yeah. no effective decision was ever made in in that sort of meeting. And and to be honest, mate, a lot of the time, Ian and I have quite often discussed this on the on the podcast. A lot of the stuff is like you say, it is leaflet writing, um, writ large. Oh, um, and and all of the parties do do that with their with their motions and trying to catch each other up with amendments of things that they know that the other side isn't isn't going to vote for. Um, but it's well, it's not the way any business runs, is it? It's not the way to make effective decisions. No, and I think a lot of people don't realise that the motions aren't binding. You can't bind the administration to anything. So you could put on there, the administration must do 20 hopscotches before they come into chamber. And everybody could vote, yes, they've got to do it, but they don't have to do it. you know. And, and that's on every last motion. So every single motion that we pass or approve, the administration have got to listen to. It's, it's more like a recommendation. It's a little like the Brexit vote, isn't it? It's a recommendation. Let's, they, let's, let's not go there. Let's not do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that's, that's yeah. one of the annoying things. Is and I don't think a lot of people realise that. I think you th- I think people go, oh, that's been approved by full council. That must now happen. Doesn't, doesn't. No, but but that I guess is is um, perhaps a um, a lack of understanding in how the cabinet system that operates in Portsmouth Unity Authority works and what that effectively means. Yeah what decision-making powers that the cabinet members have and what powers the rest of the council have to, to um, call those decisions back to full council to to be debated out. Um, I, I was going to say out in the open, but cabinet decisions aren't necessarily not made out in the open because they have they have um, uh, meetings for for each of the specific briefs. So it's not like they're done you know, behind closed doors or in the slide. So, um, yeah, interesting one. Um, okay, well, hopefully that one will be short and sweet. And being short and sweet, Ian, what's the next question? Yes. So national politics, George, it's been, it's been a lively couple of months. Um, so, so what do you think the, the national picture means for a, a local Portsmouth independent? And what are the uh, what are the residents telling you as, as you've got people? I'm sure you've got boots on the ground already. What's what's the message coming back? Well, a week is a long time in politics. And I just wish that we had a local election four weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't need to tell you, Ian, I think there's a massive anti-Tory situation going on amongst even the most loyalists of the Tory. I mean, I watched your show, was it last week or the week before, when you had that gentleman on um, who's been a Tory voter his entire life, who kind of, I, don't, I think he said, on, quote me if I'm wrong, I think he said that he wouldn't not vote for a different party, he just wouldn't vote mm-hmm. Tory, he just wouldn't vote, I think he's what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you've got a real big issue with that, because I think even your die-hard Tory voters are just going to go, do you know what, we're not going to vote for Labour, Liberal, Democrats or Independent, but we're just not going to vote. And that would make the kind of smaller parties in certain areas a lot more interesting. That's a general consensus. Labour are obviously on a on a hiatus um, from a national area and they're really jumping on that, as you can probably tell from their social media at the moment. They're hitting the streets in Milton especially, um, quite well, daily it seems like at the moment. But yeah, the general consensus: people are getting a bit tired. It's but haven't they been tired for years? I mean, like they, mm. they got annoyed with the Brexit thing, and it was then obviously that lasted for years and years, and cost of living and blah blah. There always seems to be things for everybody to be annoyed about. Um, it's just how annoyed they are at the time of the local election is is the question. But I think, unlike the years previous where people have protest voted for another party, I think May's got a real danger of having a low turnout instead, uh, even lower than they already are. Because I think your avid Tory voters are going to go down. I mean, you only need to look at the postal vote in May. I mean, as, as we all know, Tories stereotypically win almost every postal vote area. Just that's always how it works with postal votes. 
Um, and the postal vote numbers weren't great in May this year already because people were tired. So I'd be, I'd be more interested to see what the postal vote return is next May. Um, and I think that's where the, the Conservative Party locally will struggle. Um, but it all comes down to what Labour can do. Because obviously from a national aspect, their numbers are going up in the polls. The question is, is their number going up in the polls just because people don't like the Conservatives or because the Labour have actually got any better? Um, that's that's the real question is, 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 would people now go, oh, there's an independent on the card. Oh, let's, you know what, let's, mm. let's, let's get, and, I, and that's what we don't know. That's the unknown um, at this moment in time. And I think that's going to make a big difference. So if we look a bit further ahead, George, um, you know, mo many calls at the moment that, uh, that Rishi has no legitimacy and there should be a general election called. Obviously, the Conservatives are not going to call a general election just at the moment. But as and when they do, um, are there, is there going to be a PIP candidate in the North and the South? I swore when I stood for a general election before that I'd never do it again. Um, a lot's changed since then, though, hasn't it? Uh, the simple question is... Oh. It's it's been a while. I mean, both we, both for you and for the and for the city and the nation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It has, and a lot of things have changed. I mean, you know, a lot of things have changed since then. But people think I stood for general election in two thousand and nineteen because I wanted to win the general election. That wasn't why I stood for general election. I stood to see where I was most popular in, in the seven areas that the ward covers, um, which obviously came out as Paul's Grove. So, uh, uh, it it costs a lot. It's expensive and it destroys your entire life because campaigning in one, two, three wards is like a breeze in comparison to general election. And I think the issue also is, is that the one thing that you don't really get in locals is media attention every minute of every single day. Whereas when a general election comes on, every newspaper, everything is all about election, 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 election. And the turnout of general elections is dramatically higher, mm. which always, always mm. favour the national parties. So... I would be walking in, or the team would be walking in, because obviously I, I wouldn't stand in both areas. The team would be walking into a situation where, unless we can somehow cut through the middle, we're definitely going to lose. Um, so it's, do you want to campaign so hard to lose? I don't know, um, is, is is the question. Um, and I think that's the reality of it. You know, you'll never get a politician on and tell you, oh, I'm, I'm going to stand and lose, because that's just nonsensical. Um, but realistically, I don't think we're in a place where we could win. But long term, you know, if we're talking six, seven years down the line, if the Portsmouth Independents have got, you know, four or five wards in the north of the city that we've now got three councillors in, then why not? I just think that we've got a lot of groundwork to do, a lot of grassroots to do, a lot of experience to gain. It's not easy being an MP, you know, um, and me included, I'm, I, well, I lack experience. You know, I've got a year and a half in the council now, but I don't have 20 years in the council like some of them. And, and, and you know, that's got to be remembered. You know, I don't know all the ins and outs like a lot of them do. So I'm still learning. So we've got to be realistic um, and and see how it goes. But I mean, it'd be interesting to stand and see if we get that magic 5% to get the deposit back. I mean, I think I got 1% last time, didn't I? But, you know, I think that magic magic 5%. Oh, I, I, you know? I think they might have rounded it up, George. I don't Zero want to break it up. Or something. Yeah, I'd say it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's but as you say, it's, it's completely different times back then. That was that was three years ago. Nobody knew I was. I wasn't a councillor. I had no infrastructure. We had no local party system. So we'll see. It, it would be an interesting one, wouldn't it? Because obviously, with the two the city's two constituencies, you've got um, obviously Penny Morden um, with a very very large uh, majority in Portsmouth North, 
and um, Stephen Morgan with a with a large and extended majority in um, in Portsmouth South. So if um, if the Tories were on descendant and Labour were on ascendant, it would kind of make Portsmouth South a strange one to try and win. Well, but Portsmouth yeah. North, you know, stranger things have happened. But then again, Penny is a very, very effective campaigner um and very very hard very very hard to beat having watched her hustings um and how she um <clears throat> how she disassembled other candidates in hustings um it's um she's not exactly um an easy an easy um person to to win against not at all not at all um i think i think you're right the south would be more interesting um it's always closer you know you've had three different colors there in the last two decades um so it's a much much more interesting area um, and I think, as you say, if one's on the down and one's on the up and one cuts through, who knows? Um, I think the South would be more interesting, but I think the North. The thing is, though, is the polls actually are showing Labour. Labour would just about nick the polls with North. But I don't think those polls account for us standing. Um, I'm sure they don't, because why would they? You know, why would a national poll account for us standing? So, hmm. uh, And we, as you probably know, we take votes from, from Labour in Poolsgrove um, uh, dramatically. So, yeah. And and national kind of extrapolations of um of specific constituency results that are like you know that you know it's a national picture and they extrapolate it out to individual constituencies aren't necessarily worth the paper they're written on because you know you you kind of you need a you need a poll of at least a thousand people in 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 the yeah. ward itself to to get some sort of real idea but who knows stranger stranger things have happened you've also got reform party which i know are not going to win anything but they are polling at five six percent and that five six percent would change things um you know in, in a close contest and there i can't see them pulling out of any seats they're not going to win anything across the country but it's will their three or four or five percent that they are going to get in each ward would, would that make a difference to the national picture potentially? potentially who knows depends i guess whether nigel farage needs the money um so <laughs> um so, <laughs> so where did we get to ian final question so as a councillor and and a business owner what effect is the cost of living crisis having um, having on yourself and on the the residents that you're you're speaking to, and and what's your thoughts on the? I kind of we can almost talk it into existence the recession. Mm, yeah, I mean, question is the question to me is George Magic the businessman or George Magic the councillor? You know, there's two different answers to the same question there. Um, you know, so we'll go for the business first of all. Um, the business is shocking. Um, you know, my energy bill, for example, my one of my restaurants in in Fareham Council is um, has gone from eight hundred pound a month to two thousand four hundred pound a month in energy bills. Um, you know, that's that's no small climb. Meanwhile, the rent has increased because guess what? All the rent landlords are doing rent reviews at the moment, so the rents increased, the bills increased. Um, because hospitality is is so hard to staff at the moment, you probably know that that chefs are hard to come by right now. Mm. Um, you know, the wages have increased way above national minimum wage. Um, so for hospitality, it's difficult. I, I would be lying if I, I said it wasn't. And We've had to make cuts in uh, some of my outlets to to alleviate that. Um, which and that, I don't mean just staff cuts. Um, don't get me wrong. We are we do have less staff now than we did last year. Um, but we're also more. To be fair, we're more energy conscious. We used to go, ah, oh, we'll leave the heating on overnight. It'd be all right. Um, or you know, if we used to shut for two days, we just used to leave the boiler on. Now we turn the boiler off because you don't need hot water if you close for three days. So I think we're being more energy conscious. Um, 
but it's it's not good from a business. I can't believe I'm opening up a new restaurant in a week and a half time um, during the middle of it. So um, that should be interesting. But we are only opening four days a week. So, uh, yeah. You do have form, though, George, don't you? It's like, I think, you know, oh, there's a pandemic. Perhaps now's the time to expand the, expand the restaurant empire. And now there's a cost of living crisis. So, so as, as a man that likes to fly in the face of adversity, there is a, there is. There is. There, and there? I mean, it's funny. It's a running joke amongst my friends because every single time I've opened a new restaurant, there's been a lockdown exactly seven days afterwards. Um, that's that's literally a fact. So get ready for a lockdown on the 25th of November, I suppose. But um, yeah, I mean, you've got to remember business is business. And when the stakes are high, the cost is lower in a, in relation to risk. So, for example, catering equipment now is incredibly cheap um, because everyone's closing and there's catering equipment flooding the market. You know, you you can you, a, a piece of equipment you would pick up for fifteen hundred two grand is now four hundred pounds. You know, it's it's that dramatic. It's that dramatic. So, whereas opening Drayton would have cost me a hundred and twenty thousand three years ago would probably is now probably costing me about 75,000. So you do have, you do have swings and roundabouts to, to, to that. Um, obviously your ongoing costs are more expensive, but your initial setup costs. So that's why, you know, look, look at the COVID pandemic, as you say, when I bought my place in Knoll village, I got it at probably a third price of what I would have paid for it outside the pandemic, you know, so mm. you've got to look at that from a councillor perspective. It's not good. I mean, I'm a councillor represent incredibly, difficult ward in relation to social issues and to benefit systems and to cost of living um and people are using food banks more often now um i even had a resident come into a to, to a surgery that i had um two months ago now and this is before obviously the next hike and, and literally had, he had no electricity and stuff and i said to him have you got your key and he went yeah i've got my electricity key and i went down the shop and put 20 quid on for him because he had literally no electricity um and you're getting more of that now you're getting a lot more of that um dramatically more in the last six months in comparison and people are using the, the food hub at the church quite a lot so it is getting worse um and i think it's i think this little energy thing has helped um i had one resident i spoke to yesterday say oh i got 60 pounds off my electricity bill so that that helped you know so i think that is helping um but hmm. how long's it gonna last yes tough indeed tough times ahead and I think, uh, you know, as you say, it is, it's affecting pretty much everybody. So thank you, George. We are out of time. Um, as always, thank you for a comprehensive set of answers. Hello. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And our guest, our guest has been... Councillor George Madgwick. <laughs> oh, one day we'll get it right. Um, and I've been Simon yeah. Sansbury. Join us next week at 6.27 um, when we'll have a, another episode of Looking at Local Politics. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa. Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, Play the latest episode. Stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>